inviting someone to church. Today we're going to talk about the church a bit, and it's not just coming to church. To be a part of the church is something incredible, something phenomenal, and you know, most of the time we don't think about it. So today we're going to think about it. We're going to learn something. We're not just inviting people to come to an institution. We're not just trying to get people to enter our building, but to become a part of a body. And today I'm going to talk about the church as the body of Christ. More specifically, I'm using the word incarnation. What do you think about when you think of incarnation? We, at, at Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, right? Incarnation is a big, fancy word, but really what it means is the Lord took on a body. And at Christmas time, Jesus was born, uh, God manifest in the flesh, and the purpose was to reveal who God is and his love for mankind. And that's the glory of Christ in Christmas, the incarnation. He revealed himself through our kind. And what happens next when you believe and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you actually become an incarnation. No, you're not Christ himself, but Christ himself comes to live in you, dwell in you by the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in a sense, every born-again believer is an incarnation of Jesus Christ because God also wants to reveal who he is and his love for mankind to the world. He wants to reveal himself to you, but also through you. So it's amazing. First he came, walked this earth, he took a body. Then he comes and takes your body, if you allow him. And then there's the church. The church is the body of Christ. The scripture calls Jesus the head of the church. And as the head of the church, he has a body. And so the same thing, through the church... He wants to reveal himself, who he is, and what he wants in this world. His love for mankind through his body on earth. He had a body, now we are his body. So have you ever thought about the church as the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm, like I said, we don't often think of that, but if we really get a biblical view of the church, it can fuel our faith, it can... It can get us motivated, it can encourage us, and it can get us into a place where we understand more about our purpose, our significance here. And it really is an incredible thing, the Church of Jesus Christ. There's a movement, or we've heard people in the past saying, well, I love Jesus, but I don't need church. Well, you know, if it weren't for his church and things like that. That's a bad thing to, to diss the Lord's church. The church is the Lord's beloved. The church is his own body. And we become born-again incarnations. He has purposed that we function with other incarnations, and that's the purpose of the church, to function together to serve his purpose and will on this earth. So that's what we're going to think about. Church serves a bigger purpose than just getting together to worship on Sundays. I remember, there may still be, but there used to be this toy, and uh, it was called a Tickle Me Elmo. And I don't know if you've seen that, but... I'm the kind of guy that if you're walking through a, a Walmart and there's a toy with a button on it and it says, try me, I'm going to push it. <laughs> Anybody else do that? I, um, some people don't, I know, but I will push the but button. 
And, uh, and sometimes it's embarrassing when the toy is really loud and uh, everybody is staring. Oh, you, who did it? You, you pushed it. And I think this is one of those toys, Tickle Me Elmo. I push the button and all of a sudden he jiggles up and down and goes, ha, 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 You know, only it's more obnoxious. It's hee, 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 you know, an Elmo voice. And, uh, and then it goes for a little bit and then it's lifeless and it's still stuck in that box and there it is. And then I thought about how a lot of churches just tickle people. They come to get their ears tickled. They get a little bit of life on Sunday morning, but then it's over. They just remain lifeless and they don't really uh, have much concern for the kingdom. They don't carry it out. They don't, they don't keep it going. And so... When we consider that the church is more than just a place to get tickled or to, to meet, because you know, ultimately church should make us feel good because we're encouraging each other and we're being edified and we're, we're getting into the presence of the Lord and worshiping. That, that is, is a great thing. But it's more than that. The church is an incarnation, if you will. Not the incarnation, but it is, the, it is Christ's body on earth. And so we want to learn a little bit about this through Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19. And I will start here with 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Powerful. That's the church. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Does that sound like the church in our time? Storming hell and having all the authority of heaven on earth. Uh, Too often, you know, we've talked about this before, it seems like the church is more irrelevant, right? It seems like we're not really accomplishing much. And then, was Jesus mistaken when he was talking about this? And I say no. So we, we know that he wasn't mistaken. We know that this is the word of truth, so we need to really get an understanding of what the church really is. So, now, I've said it, the church is the body, but I'm going to give you a strong theological statement for the church right now. So, brace yourself. Are you ready to put on your thinking caps? I'm going to give you a strong theological statement. Okay, what the church is. All right, here it is. Pay attention. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. The church is, now I know some of you are reeling on that and uh, you'll have to think about it, but the church is not a body. When Jesus said, I was going to build my church on this rock, he wasn't talking about building an ornate structure, but he was talking about his people. Not just, and he said the church, he didn't say the church. There are lots of bodies out there, but they're not all the body of Christ. He said, my church, it's the people. Church is the people. Some people say it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. 
Well, that's okay, and we understand that, but really, we are the house of the Lord. And there is only one church. It is the people who have responded the same way that Peter responded to the question, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And anyone who has said that becomes a part of the people of God. It's not just answering that question, though. The Bible gives us other indicators about what makes the people of God. You have to answer correctly. You have to get the the revelation who Jesus is and look at him correctly the way Peter did. And then you have to believe. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, it's very interesting. When you consider this is the church we're talking about, it doesn't say all who worshipped together, does it? It doesn't say all who came to hear a teaching were together. It says all who believed. And the faith that God calls us to is a believing, a responding faith. Faith is a response to who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? It's a response to the word. And it says it's not just a mental agreement. It's not just uh, holding the right doctrines, the right creeds. But it's an assimilating the word into your life, just as they did in the book of Acts. All who believe are together, and they had all things in common. They were sharing things together. They were putting what they believed into what they were believing. I always like to say believe means to be living according to what you believe. And so they they were changed. They, They came out from among the people of the world and became a body where they had all things in common. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says that believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so again there, they were added. It doesn't say uh, they were added to Faith Bible Fellowship or to a certain church or a certain assembly, a synagogue at that time. They were added to the Lord. So we say invite people to church. We're actually, our main thing is to invite people to be added to the Lord. And that takes precedence over having them come to whatever local place. But of course, we want people to come to this local place and join us. But the main thing is that people become added to the Lord. And there it is, the church as the incarnation. They become a part of his body And he is the head. So, that is a coming out from the ways of the world and becoming a part of him. And him becoming a part of us. And the word for church in in, in, uh, our, our original verse in Matthew, I'm sure you're familiar with the word ecclesia or ecclesia. I'm not quite sure the correct pronunciation, but the Greek word is ecclesia, ecclesia. And the meaning of that word is called out, to come out, come out from. So the church, again, not a a building, but a people that are called out. Called out from what? Called out from death to come into life. That's the church. The church is called out in order to come into. You're not just called out and, okay, stop doing, stop doing, get away from that, turn away, turn away. That's not it. If you stop there, you're missing what we're called into. We're called out from in order to come into. Called out from death in order to come into life. Called out from the mediocre to come into the divine. Called out from his darkness. The Lord has 
called us out from darkness to enter into his marvelous light. From death to life, from mediocre to divine, from darkness to light, and so much more we could say. You could keep it going. And that's all because we have been blessed. He said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter answered correctly, and he believed, and he was blessed. And the same happens to us. Blessed are us when we answer correctly and believe. But who does the world say that Jesus is? And in the passage, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. The world, what's the world saying about Jesus now in our day? Well, he was a teacher, or he was a good man, or he started Christianity, or something like that, a rabbi, but they don't come full into the place of the blessing. And if you just put Jesus to the side, you're still under the curse. The world is under a curse and it's not going to fare well, and it doesn't fare well for those under the curse. But Jesus doesn't want people to remain under the curse. He wants to be the one that says, blessed are you. And anyone can receive that blessing if they would just turn, answer correctly, and believe, and become a part of his body. But now, uh, that's the blessing. What, what, what does that mean? You, it's you become a part of the body, but you don't change yourself. He changes you. And so he says to Peter, I, you are Peter. He, he brings a, a revelation of who we are when we are in his house. And Peter, the word Peter, Petros, means rock or a, a stone. And so it is not the same as when he said, upon this rock I will build my church. That was Petra, which is a great cornerstone. We're going to talk about that in a second. But Peter just means simply rock or stone as part of the building. We know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. But it's not just Peter, it's us. In 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it says that you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wow, what a blessing. Blessed are you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but this is what's happened. You have become living stones. You are the house of God. Again, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be the house of the Lord. Amen? It's good to be the house of the Lord. And, and that is the only true house of the Lord. I have friends from Bulgaria, great friends from Bulgaria, and they came to America and uh, they told me when they came to America, they were astounded because they saw churches on every street corner. And they said, wow, what a great place. Churches on every street corner. This is a Christian nation. And then they started visiting these churches, and they were, they were soon uh, educated, and they understood, wait a second, what's wrong here? You know, these were just buildings, and there was a lot of places. There was no life in them. It wasn't living stones. It was you know, dead rocks or something. I don't know. But they learned that, you know, just because there's a building doesn't mean that that's the church. There are many churches, but there's only one, my church, Jesus' church, and that is the people of God. And so there, I've worked with many different churches in my time of being a Christian in ministry and things like that, and I've all kinds, different denominations, and I've worked with charismatic and non-charismatic and just I've been around and been a part of so many different uh, situations different churches 
And you know, they all have issues, they all have troubles, they all are wrong in some area. But it's all the same. I've, I've come to the conclusion it's all the same. It's just different flavors of what's wrong. But ultimately, we're united with the actual true living stones in each of those. There's only, there, there are many churches, but there's only one church. And those are the people who have responded to the divine revelation. And so that's, that's who Jesus is building. He says, I will build my church. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.9, Paul says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. All right, so you had 1 Peter 2.5 says that you are being built up a spiritual house, and this spiritual house is not your work, it's God's work. Unless the Lord builds a house, its workers labor in vain, from Psalm 127. Uh, it, this is God's building, and God is building it. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't change ourselves. We become his living stones, but he is the author of life. He's the one that makes us living. He's the one that builds us. So we are God's building that God is building. And on top of that, God is in the building. He is both the builder and the tenant. God, when you, when you respond to Jesus, he comes in. You become a new creation, born again of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just you anymore. You become united to the divine nature and God himself dwells within us. He is the tenant. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What, know you not that your body is the temple, and that the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So this is not just talking about individually, but it's true individually, but he's talking about the church. The church is a temple, a spiritual house, and the Holy Spirit is in us. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's the Spirit of Jesus. He's part of the Trinity. He is the divine. He is God in us. Wow, if we could really get a hold of this and live according to the truth, the reality in our spirits, we wouldn't be intimidated by the world. We wouldn't be embarrassed uh, because we're Christians. We'd, we'd stand and hold our heads up high. I'm a child of the King, and the King is actually living in me. I mean, we can get fired up like this because we're hearing about it and then we go out into the world and we forget about it. But the idea is, is that Jesus is the one that's working and he doesn't stop working even when we forget about it. If we just can call ourselves back to attention, again, it's blessed are you because we're responding to the truth. So, And it's upon this rock that he accomplishes his works through us. He builds us up. So now let's talk about upon this rock. Some of you, the theologians in here, are probably familiar with the theological debates about what this means. What did Jesus mean when he said, I will build my, on this rock, I will build my church? And, you know, some people believe that he was talking about Peter. This is the rock, and Peter was the first pope, and this is, this is what happened. He was the head of the church from then on, and that's the rock that Jesus was building on. And that's what the Catholic Church says, and that's how they build their popes. After Peter, he was the first. He was the rock, and the rest goes down the pope line. And that's wrong. And it's wrong on many different counts, but just you, know, you can just read Scripture to see, even the book of Acts, Peter was not seen as the head of the church. Who was seen as the head of the church in the book of Acts? It was James, the brother of Jesus. 
And, uh, and also, another interpretation of this sometimes is that Jesus was saying, and on this rock, he was looking at Peter, but he was pointing at himself, on this rock, me, I'm going to build this church. And I think that's a better interpretation, but I don't think that's really the point that he was making here. And, and you can only read that and guess, was he pointing at Peter or was he pointing at himself? That, that makes it a little difficult. But I think it's really not a big problem, this scripture, to understand what he means if we let scripture interpret scripture, which is a great way to read your Bible. Let scripture interpret scripture. So... What does he mean about the rock? Well, I go to Matthew 7:24, in which Jesus was teaching that whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then he goes on. I don't have the rest of the scripture up there, but you remember the wise man who builds his house on the rock, the storms hit and the house stands. As opposed to the unwise builder who builds on the sand the sand and the storms hit and demolishes his dwelling. So here Jesus is saying that those who do these sayings of mine, here are sayings of mine, not the sayings of man, not the ways of the world, not what you hear on the news, not what you hear in the schools, but the sayings of mine. If you build on the sayings of mine, you are like a wise builder who builds on the rock and the storms can't touch you. They can touch you, but they're not going to destroy you. So now go back to what he said to Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He said, blessed are you because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, not the sayings of man, not the news, not the schools, not what's going on out there, but my Father in heaven, the revelation of God, the sayings of mine. It's the divine revelation that is the rock in which the church rises up and storms the gates of hell. Just as the storms will not destroy someone who builds their house on the divine sayings, the sayings of mine, in the same way Peter responded to the divine revelation, the word of God, and that's what Jesus says, I will build my church on and storm the gates of hell with. The gates of hell shall not prevail. It's the divine revelation, the word of God, we get it in the word of God. In this case, Peter was answering to what Jesus said. Flesh and blood has not revealed this. So flesh and blood can read this book and not get anything out of it. But the Spirit will take what you read if you are looking to the Lord and praying. And the Spirit will take what you are reading and reveal to you the sayings of Jesus, the sayings of the Lord. And that's the way we, we grow. That's how we get built up, and it's by that divine revelation that Jesus will build us up. It's not the sloppy institution of a man-made church that tries to enforce power and, and tries to get everybody to do things their way like they did in the medieval times and even how some do today through political power and trying to get influence through the worldly method. It's, that's a sloppy institution that breeds division and, and things like that. That's not what we're talking We're talking about those who respond to the divine revelation and it affects their lives. They believe and they be living according to the sayings of Jesus. And when I say sayings of Jesus, I'm not just talking about the gospel, but every inspired part of this word. 
and uh, what he has for us. And that's what the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not prevail over. And we talked about this, I think, my first time here. Not first time, first day as the pastor. Um, The gates of hell, what does that mean? Gates do not attack. Gates defend or keep out. So Jesus talked about a church that was on the assault, not on the defense. And gates represent a hindrance. And we've all come to some hindrances in our lives, right? We've all had things in which we feel like we can't go any further forward. Well, it didn't say there weren't going to be gates to deal with. It just said they wouldn't prevail. We can go forward. We're promised that we're going forward. Even in all the faults and failures and flaws of the church in our day, we're still here and we're moving forward. Even though it may appear otherwise, if we could have been eliminated, it would have been long ago. But because God is building his house, he works with the flaws, the failures, and all the problems, and he still keeps us around and still does good on this earth through his church. If we cooperate with him, how much more and greater will we see the result? And I thought of something else about the gates of hell. Uh, That translation that's in this uh, version says Hades, the gates of Hades. And the the word for Hades is the same word uh, in Greek that they have in Hebrew. The word in Hebrew would be Sheol. But these words do not mean the fiery place of hell necessarily. They can be translated and interpreted that way. But they really mean the place of the dead, the holding place. And we could go into a lot about what there is a holding place of the dead and there is a place where your spirit goes from that place. And you're awaiting judgment in that holding place and that's another whole uh, thing you could talk about. That's not our point today. But the point I want to make today is if we look at it as the gates of Haiti, it's talking about death. And when you're dead, there's no coming out from the grave. That's the gate of hell over you. Gates of Hades, anyway. The gates of Hades keep you dead. And so Jesus is saying, no, the gates of Hades can't keep you down. Jesus rose from the dead. We will rise from the dead. And we are a resurrection people. And we come up from the grave. No gates can keep us down. Now or later, you will rise physically from the dead, but you are a life organization as the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell have nothing over us. We are a place of life in which we have risen from the dead already spiritually. We've been given new life. We've been born again, and we call people to new life. We tell them about the good news of the gospel, and Jesus comes in and raises us up and then promises that when we do die physically, we'll be raised up then too and the last days, last time. So the church is a life organization. We are a life organization. Our home office is in heaven, but the home office in heaven has given us all that we need to function as a life organization here on earth. And that includes authority. We move on to the thing of the keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do keys represent? Authority, power. I have keys to the office. I can get into the office and some people can't. You know, I have the power. You know, if someone trusts you with the keys, the, the, the son or daughter wants the keys to the car. Here's the keys to the car. I've got something. I can go places now. 
You know, when you're entrusted with keys, you, you are being blessed by those who are entrusting you with the keys. And here, we're not talking about an office or the keys to the car. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, which is about life and victory and abundance and every good thing. The Lord of glory giving us his authority. He's saying, I'm giving you my authority. He talks about Revelation. I have the key to, uh, I have the keys uh, to Hades. I can open and, and close it. He's given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven where we can open the doors of life wherever we are. We can speak a word in season to someone. We can bless someone. We can be uh, the body of Christ being a blessing on this earth. But we have the authority and we don't have to wait for the man with the key to arrive. In China, we had this funny saying we talked about. We laughed. Uh, it was called, the man with the key is not here. And it was just uh, something we talked about, laughed about, our frustrations. At times, we would go somewhere, and things would be operating, but then there was one person who had the key, and you couldn't get what you needed done, done, because the man with the key wasn't here. Uh, one time, I went to the bank. Everybody's at the bank. I need to take out, withdraw some money, but the man with the key to the safe wasn't there. And, you know, that happens here, too, sometimes. You, you can go somewhere, and everybody's there, and it should be all working and functioning, but there's somebody that doesn't have the key. And that's, that's just something you deal with in life, right? But I'm saying in the church, the man with the key is here, and he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The man with the key is here, and he's even given us the key. So we don't even... We have the keys because he is here. We are the life organization... Heaven is the home office, but he has given the branch offices the ability and authority to carry out the orders from heaven. And that's, an, that's a, a mighty thing to be a part of. Jesus, and, and we are a life organization because he is the life and he is in us. And so I feel good when I think about these things because we're not just a group of believers that just come together on Sunday and, oh, help us get through the next week. We are a mission station. We are a life organization. We have the author of life, and we have the mission that he's given us, the mission of life to carry out and live in this world. And that means there is significance to everything we're doing as the church and as we pray about what we as a specific church here are going to be doing in these times ahead. We keep this in mind. What life do you want us to bring into this area, this community, this city, the world? How are we to go about that? That's how we look at it, though. It's not like, oh, please use us. It's like, what are the orders, Lord? And let's go forward with it. And that's an incarnation of Christ. Jesus, I don't want to say he can't do it without us, because he can do anything. But in a sense, he can't do it without us. A head cannot do something without its body, right? <laughs> you need the body. And so it's not like Jesus is weak and, and helpless. It's just that he has ordained things this way, that we are to function as his hands and feet, his vocal cords, his, his heart, his everything, his body. We are it. Just as he took on a body when he came to Jerusalem, when he was born and when Jesus of Galilee he is taken on a body, the church. And that's why the church received so much persecution in the world. Satan tried to kill Jesus, and 
when he was in the, his human flesh, and Satan has tried to put out the church. In both cases, Satan failed. He couldn't kill Jesus. He thought he had him for a little bit, but he rose from the dead. And he's never been able to take the church out. So that is our mission. We are the life organization. We are the incarnation. And we are the body of Christ. And that means it's important that we nourish our bodies and that we work our bodies. How do you nourish your body? I've already talked to you about it. It's the word and getting the spirit to reveal the word to us. But then taking steps of faith and doing something in the name of Jesus. If you don't work your body, it gets flabby. If you don't work your body and you never use it, you, you lose your ability. There's many in the church that just come and don't do anything with any concern for the kingdom. This isn't to get anybody feeling guilty or condemned or anything. It's just saying, if you want to be a healthy body, we've got to work our members. And nobody's too young, nobody's too old. There's always some way you can be a part of the Lord's mission, like I've said before. And, and your body part, your part... Your member, who you are as a member of the body, is going to be different from other people. You may not be the mouth. You may be the arm. You may be the feet. You may be whatever. But you don't have to be like somebody else. You have a special place, a special calling, a special function as part of the body. And so seek it out and ask the Lord, how would I function on your behalf? And that's what's going to help us to grow. That's what's going to help us to go. We've got the head, and he's a good leader, and he will give us, along as being the head, he gives us the wisdom, and he gives us the knowledge we need. If we will receive it, we will be in a good position to see him use us in the days ahead. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have blessed us with divine revelation, and I pray just now that you would, everybody hearing this would be blessed with even further divine revelation, that we may work in response to these sayings of Jesus, to the sayings of your word, that it would affect our lives, our hearts, that we would be encouraged and motivated to see your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven, to be your ambassadors, to be the, the life organization you have created us to be. Thank you for the promise of victory and for the promise of your being with us all the way to the end. And I just pray blessings now on everybody that they would be well this week and safe and kept and motivated and encouraged with new revelations of your life and love. In Jesus' name, amen.